Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode, I was miserable. After a while, it was like, why is this so difficult? Why is this like, it's just not coming naturally. I'm not connecting. It feels very natural to me. It's a natural expression of who I am. It is the way I want to be in the world. And I'm very grateful for them both for actually trying to train me, meeting a need that we currently didn't have with our other relationships. And that would be a formal, intense master slave dynamic. This is masterslavelifestyle.com. Hello, everyone. So today I'd like to introduce who's become a regular guest to the podcast, Master Richard. And today he's going to tell us all about himself and his leather family. Master Richard, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I think you've introduced yourself many times before, but this time I want you to introduce yourself about yourself. So who are you? When did you realize you were a master slave? Clearly, I was interested in leather, kink, BDSM, fetish for a long time, probably all my life, really. But I always put 1990 as the date when I really got serious about getting involved and making connections in the San Francisco leather community. I had started graduate school at UC Berkeley. I actually was born in the San Francisco Bay Area. So coming back for graduate school was important to me. I wanted to get back home. My family lives in the, in the area. And while in graduate school, all part of that, finding out who you are and trying to establish your life, I knew I wanted to be more involved in leather and kink. It was an important part of me, even though I'm not, I wasn't sure at that time what that looked like. So in 1990, I started really participating regularly, cruising, going to some of the San Francisco events. But really, for the first five years, 1990 to 1995, I sort of dabbled. I stayed on the edges. I didn't get really fully involved. But in about 1994, 1995, I decided that this is actually a very central part of who I am, very central part of my sexuality. And so I decided to join one of the leather groups in San Francisco, the Defenders. Uh, the Defenders are a group that is part of uh, Dignity, or they were chartered by Dignity, and so it was like the uh, gay and lesbian Catholics. And they had a leather group that was focused on uh, spirituality and kink and leather. And I thought, I understand that. I came from a lot of that kind of background. At that particular time, I was partnered with a uh, Presbyterian seminary student who became a Presbyterian minister and, in fact, was involved in the um, HIV-AIDS chaplaincy in San Francisco for a really long time in the early 90s, mid-90s. I got involved, and that's where I made some of my longest friends, and I started getting really close to a master slave couple that were part of that group. And they took me under their wing and they 
did a lot of mentoring. I still consider them some of my closest friends in the San Francisco leather community. And they really helped me discover that being dominant was a central aspect of my leather and kink. And pretty soon after um, exploring all of that and being mentored by them in that group, I had my first slave, Slave Jeff, for, and he was my slave for about three years, three or four years. And um, that was really my first taste. So this is like, you know, late 90s. So thank you for sharing all of that. So if we just go back to that 1990, so what was the thing that made you take the step at that point? You know, so those feelings and those needs must have been there, but what was the thing that made you go, now is the time I'm going to start exploring? Part of it was really realizing, oh, this is not going away. Oh, this is not something which, you know, oh, I had an interest, I explored it. That satisfied my curiosity. My curiosity was still very, very high, even though I had been starting to do a lot of things. So I stepped back and I thought, this is really important to me. It needs to be more central or else I'm not going to be happy. So that's when I decided I needed to pursue it more consistently, more intensely, and try to get into the leather community, into the men's community in San Francisco. And you also mentioned around this leather group that combined spirituality, kink, and leather. As someone that likes to combine all of those things myself, I'm really amazed at that because it's so rare to find that sort of connection. Is that something that is still there if people are interested in it? Is there other ways people can connect to those three? Or was that still a very small group at that point for you as well? Uh, the separate, there used to be a number of different chapters. Right now, it's become a national organization and it still exists, uh, Defenders, and they still meet and explore and support each other on their links between their sexuality and their spirituality, their leather and their kink and their spirituality. So they're still around, highly recommended. And they're pretty open to different denominations, different approaches. There was quite a, a range, different spiritualities and approaches and backgrounds in religion that were part of that group. We would get together and do things like discussions. There was an initiation process into the group, which was also quite fun and very much couched in spirituality as part of the whole ritual. You know, ritual and protocol was pretty high for a group that really focused on the relationship between leather and spirituality. So it was a good place for me to really connect and allowed me to explore leather and kink in a way that felt very comfortable to me. And you kind of mentioned you took your first slave on, but what was the trigger point that made you go from, let's say, I want to be in the leather kink scene to I am a master? Well, when I got serious about Dom sub relationships and power exchange, and I went to my mentors who were a master slave couple, and I basically said, I really want to learn more, know more about this. And so we decided that they would 
train me as a sub. In the background, there was this, oh, you know, you have to start from the bottom and work your way up to the top, or there had to be some sort of, you can't really be into this stuff and not know essentially both sides, but definitely the sub side. And so that seemed to, given my lack of experience and knowledge, that seemed like a natural place. So they tried to train me as a sub for, it was almost a year. It was a long time. I was like really trying. And after many months, that felt like many months, I was miserable. After a while, it was like, why is this so difficult? Why is this like, it's just not coming naturally. I'm not connecting. I'm, <laughs> I'm not in any kind of way doing a good job as a submissive on anybody's account. And finally, they sat me down and they said, Richard, just accept that you're a dominant. <laughs> just go with that. Because otherwise, you're miserable and it's just not working. And so in some ways, it was them sitting down and saying, accept who you are. You are a dominant. You're not a submissive. Stop trying. <laughs> that gave me permission in many ways to really explore it. And I jumped in with both feet as a dominant and I have not looked back at all. It feels very natural to me. It's a natural expression of who I am. It is the way I want to be in the world. And I'm very grateful for them both for actually trying to train me and recognizing that it wasn't working. Do you think that training made you a better master long-term? It definitely helped. Long term, I can't say it helped very much because I was having such a difficult time really getting into it, into the headspace, into the experience. So in some ways, I can't look back on that and have that really inform a lot of what I do now because it was such a rough experience. I mean, now I can, you know, it definitely helps when I'm trying to train somebody new, somebody who's new to the dynamic to the community. And I can recognize very quickly when it's not working, right? When it's not fitting who they are. So I do appreciate that. But I learned mostly a lot from my first slave about how to be a master. And that was good. What sort of things did you learn from your first slave then? Probably one of the first lessons which has this sticks to me to this day. 25 years later, is being clear when I give a command, being clear when I express my desires or my needs. I didn't realize until we were really into this master-slave dynamic about how indirect or how vague I could be about what I wanted or giving a command. And so that whole experience really taught me the importance of a master, a dominant, being very clear. And it's not just clear in words, in communications. It's clarity in what am I feeling? What do I want? What do I want to see? What do I want to experience? So having clarity in goals, having clarity in this vision, of how I want the world to be or how I want my experience to unfold. That clarity is crucial. 
I mean, it's what enables a slave to really fulfill their desires to help, to submit, to serve, and to have that be successful. So that was probably one of the first things. And it took a while because part of it really was me having to dig and find out, well, why am I being vague? Why am I being indirect? I don't need to be in this particular relationship. And it made me realize just how much that was a survival skill in other relationships and growing up. So having to unlearn all that, part of it really is just claiming your power. So that was like one of the first lessons. It's a strange you kind of say that claiming your power and kind of having a clarity on what it is you want, because it's quite often when I'm kind of coaching new people, be it masters or slaves, that's one of the root questions. It's like, okay, well, who are you? What do you want to get from this? And there's always a journey to get there because, of course, the answer quite often is, well, I'm not quite sure. And so you have to dig a bit deeper. Yes, very much. It's an important skill. And once you get it, and it does, it really helps to have someone helping you do that. At that point, I had my slave who was very good at reflecting back to me, you know, how it was coming across or what I was actually saying. And when he got distressed, it was generally because I was vague or sometimes even conflicted in what I wanted. And that put him in a difficult position. And I could then see that sort of reflected. So having that reflected back, whether through a coach or whether through a MS partner, is pretty crucial. That idea of conflicting you mentioned, I just want to link that with something earlier as well, which was around the spiritual part. I imagine your, your relationships have an energy, a connection to them, because you bring in this spiritual part. So I imagine when you're conflicted, that must show up in the energy and how you're connecting to someone as well. They must really feel that. Yes. And it's interesting because, again, especially early on with my first slave, maybe the first couple of slaves I had, I couldn't see it until it was reflected back at me. And then because of that, I was able to more to learn more quickly to identify, oh, wait a minute, I'm feeling conflicted or I'm feeling somehow in some way stuck. And what I found when I started really working on that, so why am I feeling conflicted? You know, why is it not clear? Why am I wanting more than one thing? It ended up actually the second big lesson, which was in order to be clear, I need to pay attention to what's going on inside me. I need to pay attention to what I'm feeling, what I want. I had survived again, childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, by paying attention to other people, trying to please them, trying to pay attention to what were they saying and feeling and what did they want. And so I developed very strong skills at figuring out other people, but that meant that all of my attention and all of my energy was focused on sort of making space for other people in my head and in my heart. And that kind of crowded out me. So I had to learn to focus on me and focus on what was coming up from inside me. 
and crowding out, you know, what other people were thinking, what other people wanted. So being able to do that was a skill that I developed and it has definitely helped in MS Dynamics to really focus on what was coming up for me. When you're talking about the slave reflecting back to you, there are some people that feel like a slave should never speak or that shouldn't happen. So did you go into that relationship already knowing you wanted the slave to reflect back or was that something that you were taught or is it something that kind of just emerged as you were having this relationship? It emerged. It became a pattern that I was then able to see. I certainly did not intend it. But I think it's a natural, I mean, when you give a command and a slave obeys, when you do something and the slave submits, they are in that very act mirroring what it is you're saying or what it is you're doing or how you expressed yourself. And again, those moments of like when the slave became distressed or I would give a command and he would do it and then I was unhappy. I was like, wait a minute, why am I unhappy? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I? And it's not because he's a bad slave, right? Or he didn't do it right or whatever. It really became, why am I unhappy? Oh, well, I said this, X, and he did that. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> so that's not what's going to make me happy. So it was mostly those moments when he was distressed or I was unhappy. In that moment when I'm giving a command and he's obeying, that became clear to me. Oh, he is reflecting, he's mirroring, he's providing, in essence, that a way for me to see how I am coming across, how I really am expressing myself and not just, you know, from my perspective, but from his perspective. It's really interesting because I have so much emotion coming out right now because I actually had that from the slave point of view that um, at one point a master going, I'm really unhappy and I don't want to be doing any of this. And for like months, my only focus had been on pleasing him and giving what he wanted. And so I had this huge emotional reaction while this relationship can never work because all I did was try and give him what he wanted. And then he was saying he was so unhappy, but he hadn't made that extra step to understand the slaves only giving me what I want. You know, and it was so impactful for me that it kind of ended the relationship. No, it's pretty key. It's pretty foundational. And I'm really glad I figured it out early. Yeah, I think it's an amazing lesson. So if we go back to your story, so we were coming to the end of the 1990s, I think, that you had your first slave. So what happened after this? Well, we ended up parting ways. My slave actually... It was through our relationship that it was important to me that he express and explore his spirituality. I wasn't in control or command about what that looked like or how that was for him, other than it was important to pay attention to and to nurture. And that was very helpful for him. He had grown up a very conservative Jewish, and so he reconnected with all of that. And that really made him come alive in ways that 
were really wonderful. And part of that was realizing that he was transgender. It was interesting because early in our relationship, he always thought, my image of a slave is the 1950s housewife. That's what <laughs> he, he wanted to make a home. He wanted to serve. He wanted to do all of these things that really were very nurturing and really made him feel very comfortable. And so Jeff became Jessica. So she, a wonderful person, but this did lead to kind of an unresolvable conflict, which was I was attracted to men. And Jessica was a very feminine energy, strong, but feminine energy. And it became more and more difficult for me to connect in that way. So, you know, we ended up parting still very much supporting each other, but realizing that our paths were really going off in different directions. So I still talk to Jessica every once in a while, and uh, we stay connected even after all these years. So, And that then started a period where I was having dom sub-relationships that were not master and slave. I had pups, I had boys, and I did that for a number of years. And after a long time, I realized that I missed having a slave that there's something special about a master-slave relationship that's distinct and different from, you know, master-boy or daddy-boy or handler-pup. How would you define the difference from your personal experience? Part of it is intensity. There is an intensity in master-slave relationships that is not quite at the same level. I mean, other relationships are not quite at the same level as of intensity. Boys and pups, there tends to be, yes, there is a submissive nature to them. They do want to please. They do want to serve. They do want to submit. But it's different. It's not the, let's try to do this as completely as possible, right? Let's see how far we can go. It was more like, oh, this is good. Let's just stay here at this level of power exchange. Pops and boys can also be a lot of fun, sometimes distracted. That's <laughs> part of the intensity of a master-slave relationship when it's going like really well, is that the slave is so focused on the master. And pops and boys tend to be looking at a lot of things, <laughs> not necessarily only focused right on their dom, on their master. At least that was my experience. So that's some of the ways in which I find it to be different. And so when I didn't have a slave after a number of years, I really realized I missed it. So you then went to find another slave or many slaves? Well, as it turned out, I decided, you know, I looked around. I had, at that point, I had a couple of boys, a couple of pups. I decided, and I did not know of any available or interested slaves in my circle, in my life at that point. And so I decided I was just going to, you know what? I'm going to just make myself available. I'm going to ask the universe. I'm just going to put it out there. And well, I had met someone actually at IML who was in a relationship with his partner. He was a slave. He was in a relationship with his partner they did have a power exchange relationship. He called his partner master, 
but the style of it wasn't quite as intense and formal. I'm very intense. I'm very formal. So we met at IML and got to know each other. And we realized that we each could help each other in terms of meeting a need that we currently didn't have with our other relationships. And that would be a formal, intense master-slave dynamic. So I collared him, and I still have him. How many years has this been now? Uh, let's see. I want to say uh, nine or ten. Wow. And you kind of said a formal, intense master-slave relationship. So what is your definition of that? So what makes your relationship a formal, intense one? Uh, the set of protocols I use. I have certain ways in which I want slaves to talk, to walk, how to ask for things, how to bring things up. So there's a lot of formality in those protocols, certain expectations about, I have my slaves open doors for me. I have slaves push the elevator buttons for me. These are just things that make me happy. And so working out just like, well, how do you enter a place? How do you exit a place? How do you leave my presence? How do you enter my presence? All of these things, I have protocols around. And so given the number of protocols, and given that they are formal in the sense of there's a proper way to do it, it is done with respect and in a particular way, all of that to me is what it means for it to be formal. And, you know, finding a slave that thrives on that always is a good fit for me. Something that came up with my last master's, it was a phrase one of them had, and I always loved it, which is like protocol or intense protocol. It's like creating a language that exists just between the master and slave. And that there's some sort of amazing connection and emotion with that, that gives comfort to both of them. That's very true. That is absolutely my experience. It is very special and comfortable. You, you really do feel like you're together in a groove that really works for you both. Because there are some masses and some slaves that don't really like protocol. They kind of veer away from it. And then there's other of us, I can say, that almost crave it. It's something very kind of powerful that just creates the mindset. Yes. And then everything flows. Yeah, very much. So in particular, a lot of my protocols are focused on boundaries. Boundaries. I consider that part of what makes me a master, part of being a master, is being in control of boundaries. So whenever there is a crossing of a boundary, a threshold, a boundary, I have a protocol around that. So yes, protocols for entering the car, exiting the car, um, entering a building. But the boundaries also include the boundaries of the slave's body. So I have protocols around what goes in and what comes out. So a lot of my protocols are focused on that. It's not the only sort of organizing principle for the protocols that work for me, but it's a big one because I do think that the job of the master is to monitor and control and manage those boundaries. And that includes protecting the slave, you know, as part of maintaining a boundary. But a lot of it is really focused on boundaries. 
other boundaries also to protect yourself and the slave self as well? Yeah, very much. So a lot of some protocols and rituals that we do often are about protecting the boundary of the relationship. So that requires like, you know, a check-in. I do with all my slaves differently because each slave is different. They have different needs around that, but I take time to check in that we discuss how are things going, what's coming up, any challenges, anything that we should talk through that has happened between us. So I think of that as protecting the relationship, the boundaries, and really maintaining the boundaries of the relationship, of the agreement we have. So I even consider that a regular check-in discussion. Also, when I do my regular check-in discussions, I don't step out of the dynamic. I know that sometimes some people will. We're just going to talk to, you know, it's two people right now. Now I do mine <laughs> in our master-slave dynamic. So, so you kind of keep the container there. There's still the dynamic, but you're having a more open discussion. Absolutely. Nice. So yeah, the boundary thing is covers quite a lot. There are lots of ways in which you know I'm paying attention to the boundaries of things. So we've we've got to the fact you've now found a new slave from IML, and so what's happened in the last ten years? Well. Maybe it's more than 10 years. One of my slaves would know this very well. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not always good at dates. We were together doing it, but part of the challenge or part of the dynamic is that he's in Boston, I'm in San Francisco. So long distance. And we still do regular calls and check ins. And I give commands for. You know, each day, is there something I want you to do, something I want you to do to sort of express that obedience or submission? And that helps to maintain things over long distance. Commands, daily commands, weekly commands, check-ins, calls, visiting, of course, and actually spending time at length in terms of being together in our dynamic. All of that's really good. But it's one of those things when you ask the universe for something, sometimes the universe gives you not just one, but a lot. <laughs> so pretty soon after that, a couple of years, I had another opportunity, but this time someone local I had posted. I had had a dream. I don't remember my dreams very well very often. But this one struck me. I woke up and I posted it actually on Facebook. I said, oh, I had this weird dream last night. I dreamed I was pregnant, which was an odd thing for me. And, and somebody I knew in the leather community kind of cheekily said something like, well, maybe you're going to have a new slave. Ah, interesting. And as it turned out, it was actually that person who became my slave. Because he was at a point in his life when he wanted to explore power exchange relationships, dom-sub relationships. And so he became my second slave. And very soon, a couple of years after that, I had another slave that's local. So, and collared him in, I think it's 2016 or 2017. 2016, I think. So now I have a Boston slave and two local slaves 
I also have a slave, a long time sort of, we were in a dom-sub sort of dynamic when we played, but not necessarily outside of that. But over time, we've grown in intensity and, in fact, have expanded it so that it's outside of scenes. He's also local, and I consider him to be one of my slaves. He considers that too. So now I have like four. And then uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, my pup that I had for, I don't know, 16, 17 years actually came to me and said, I would like to explore being a slave, not just a pup. And so we discussed it. And about a year, year and a half ago, we made this transition from pup handler, master boy to master slave. And that's been, it's been an interesting and sometimes challenging transition. But so now I have five slaves and a pup. So your slave cup overflows. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. So you got to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> but I'm very happy. And really, that's my leather family, plus my partner slash boy, nesting partner, who we started out as master boy and have transitioned to something a little bit more egalitarian, less formal, but still there is a flavor of power exchange in that. So I call him my partner slash boy or boy slash partner. So what is it like to have five slaves? I mean, is it the same protocol and the way that you treat them or is it very different for each one? Do you gain different things from each one? How does that all kind of spread out for you? Well, the structure of my leather family is very much the sort of hub and spoke. It's everybody has a direct relationship with me. I have expectations that they will be, you know, they know each other, they're friendly with each other, cordial, but I don't dictate that they have to like, be a certain way with each other. If they become brothers, that's great. They don't have to. So I find that each one is a unique relationship. What I get out of each relationship is different and it feeds a different part of me. Our protocols tend to be, there's a base that is sort of um, standard, a standard set of protocols that I like, but then there are different protocols or certainly different flavors or colors uh, for each relationship, a different style, really, in many ways. So the relationship tends to be pretty distinct. There are certain things I do with one slave that I won't do or don't do with others. Some are a bit more formal than my interactions with some of the others because the formality and the high protocol feeds that relationship really well. So that tends to be easier when you have a hub and spoke of different relationships. Each one really is kind of distinct. So each one gives me something different, hits a different part of myself. And more than anything, it's got to be about the quality of the connection and the interaction. I didn't set out going, oh, I need five slaves. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was more like, oh, here's a person I really connect with. 
connect in this particular way as a master slave. Oh, do I have space? <laughs> do I have time? <laughs> do I have the capacity to be in another relationship? And so I kind of feel like I've hit my capacity. I was just about to ask you about what are the challenges of having five slaves? So capacity is one of them. Are there any other challenges you'd like to share? Well, there is the fact that each one is different. Uh, the relationship is different. The fact that even though they're all master-slave, right, but each one is sort of unique and different, there tends to be sometimes issues around comparison. Wait a minute, you do that with that slave. What does that mean about me? Or what does that mean about our relationship? Or so sometimes the comparison stuff becomes difficult to handle, to address. You know, I try to emphasize each of you, you know, our relationship is unique. It's not really good to compare. And yet sometimes it's inevitable. That's going to happen. The thought is going to happen. Trying to make sure everybody's needs are being met. And that changes, right? Sometimes the slave will go through a time period when they really need more. At other times, they don't need as much of my time, my attention, my care. So there's always a, an adjusting and adapting that has to happen. And of course, if one slave's needs change or they go through a period when they need more from me, that does affect, right? My availability for all the others. You know, that is always something of a challenge. I'm very grateful that each of my slaves understands that the other master slave relationships in my life are important and to me and feed me, and they support that. So we sort of partner together on managing master's needs and slaves' needs and adjusting. Yes, I need master. Do I need him right now? <laughs> Becomes part of that way in which we try to adapt. But sometimes, depending upon what's happening in the world and what's happening in each person's life, it can be challenging. So we're coming to the final few questions. So what, if anything, would you like to see in the master slave community? That's not there at the moment. I have two, two things which sort of jump out at me in thinking about that question. One is, I find that within the gay male leather community, there isn't quite a lot of support or visibility of master-slave relationships. I wish there was more. I find that sometimes, I've had several experiences of going to like kink events, leather events, weekend retreats and runs and other events where other gay kinky people, leather people, still don't understand or sometimes even make fun of a master-slave relationship. And I'm not sure how it is in other parts of the leather community, but I definitely feel like more visibility, more support, more possibility for gay leather master-slave relationships, right? More support, more, more respect, more understanding. That would be nice. And along those lines, for the whole master-slave community, I tend to find that I wish we would address the stigma 
about master-slave relationships more powerfully, more directly, more actively. I always find it interesting. I do a lot of research and I do a lot of training of therapists and counselors, for example, and doctors. And what I find over and over again is, especially with mental health people, they're totally fine if people you know, want to get together and like spank or tie each other up or even you know flog and whip. They get really weird when there's a power exchange, when there is an, an intense you know, total power exchange. They don't know how to handle that. So there's a lot of stigma around that. I wish we could address that more actively. I've noticed that with some of my therapists in, in the past, I've had to almost teach them what's good or what's not, or correct an assumption that something's bad. And it's like, no, no, we don't need to talk about this. This is not the issue kind of thing. Yes. Yes, that happens. That happens still. And what makes a good master and what makes a good slave? I think there are some basic skills. There has to be. You have to really know yourself, right? So you have to constantly be working on yourself in touch with what you're feeling, what you're thinking in a moment by moment way. So there's a lot of like mindfulness and a lot of attention that has to be paid to. Wait a minute. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? And then being able to share that. So communication. So self-knowledge and communication about that self-knowledge is pretty crucial, I think, to being able to do this in a way that's sustainable, in a way that really meets people. It's strange because I have noticed some people, so a master wants to be a master so they don't have to change. People have to perceive with them. And a slave wants to be a slave to escape from their issues. And it's really strange that those never work. It's the people that kind of lean into who am I? Can I go deeper to gain that self-knowledge that tend to be more successful as masters and slaves? That is exactly my experience and what I've observed too. I find that the people who don't want to change or the people who want to be rescued or the people who just you know want to have their way and not have to think about it, they end up not being very clear or transparent. And transparency and clarity are crucial, I think, to a good master-slave dynamic. Very much. So um, you also, at the Tashra Institute, is there any tests or anything you would like to encourage people to join or register with before we finish? People can go to www.tashra, T-A-S-H-R-A.org to find out we are enrolling people in a number of different studies. These are all health-related studies. We've got several going on right now. So be part of science. Be part of finding out more about kink. And this includes master-slave relationships and those dynamics, especially as it relates to health. So that would be great. We always can use the help. Master Richard, thank you so much for sharing your story here. Thank you so much for your openness. And I wish you all the best for the next 10 years and for the other five slaves that will appear. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. I'm going to hold my breath. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. You can now support the podcast, website and Masterslave community through Patreon membership. Receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the master slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full-time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>